Did you know that the third most common reason for presentation to the emergency department by patients with cancer is fever, only third to shortness of breath and pain? Did you know that almost half of these patients will be found to also be neutropenic, a syndrome known as febrile neutropenia? Did you know that up to 50% of deaths in patients with solid tumors undergoing chemotherapy is attributable to febrile neutropenia? And most importantly, did you know that delay of antimicrobial initiation has been shown to be associated with mortality rates of up to 70% in early studies? Hopefully you are convinced that this is a topic worth reviewing, because once a patient with febrile neutropenia walks through the door, the countdown is on. Today, our patient has febrile neutropenia, and you are the doctor. podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on the Today's episode is entitled Febrile Neutropenia. The countdown is on. Let's start with a definition. Febrile neutropenia is characterized by the presence of a fever in a neutropenic patient. For the purposes of this definition, a fever is defined as any temperature of equal to or greater than 38.3 degrees Celsius by oral measure, or of 38.0 degrees Celsius sustained for at least one hour. To be classified as febrile neutropenia, this must be in the context of a low absolute neutrophil count, or ANC. In most cases, this is defined by an ANC of either less than or equal to 0.5 or less than or equal to 1.0, or an ANC that is expected to drop below 0.5 within the next 48 hours. Alright, time for our minute physiology. The chemotherapy medications used to treat solid and hematologic malignancies are not without harm. While in broad terms, antineoplastic medications function to inhibit cancer cell growth and replication, many of these cytotoxic drugs affect other lines. One such cell group that is commonly suppressed during chemotherapy are neutrophils, which are the most abundant granulocyte in our body and play an imperative role in phagocytosis and destruction of invading microbes. Further, the direct effects of malignancy on hematopoiesis can also contribute to neutropenia. Ultimately, neutrophils are key players in our innate immune system and are one of the first lines of defense in protecting us from infection. In patients who develop febrile neutropenia, the cytotoxic effects of chemotherapy medications can also affect mucosal integrity, causing mucositis. This allows translocation of normal flora and other microbes from the gastrointestinal intraluminal space, which can allow these organisms to become pathogenic. Fever is caused by production and release of cytokines in response to activation of the immune system. Importantly, fever is often the first and sometimes only sign of worrisome infection in these patients whose immune response is otherwise muted. The microbiology of febrile neutropenia is varied, but can include a variety of opportunistic and virulent gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria, viruses, and fungi. Commonly isolated gram-positive bacteria, including coagulase-negative staphylococci, Staphylococcus aureus, Enterococcus species, Streptococcus viridans, Streptococcus pneumoniae, and Group A Streptococci. Common gram-negative bacteria associated with febrile neutropenia include E. coli, Klebsiella species, Enterobacter species, Citrobacter species, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Stenotrophomonas multifilia. Common fungal causes of febrile neutropenia include Candida and Aspergillus species, while common viral causes include Epstein-Barr virus, Herpes zoster virus, influenza, and more. 
In addition to the great breadth of microorganisms that can lead to this condition, multi-drug resistant strains are also becoming more of a concern, which further complicates treatment of this vulnerable patient population. While the incidence of febrile neutropenia varies according to the patient, cancer, and chemotherapy characteristics, this is an important consideration for all patients receiving cytotoxic medications due to the high associated morbidity and mortality. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. When would you expect to be called about a patient with febrile neutropenia? All patients receiving cytotoxic chemotherapy medications should be counseled regarding febrile neutropenia. This involves education of patients and family members regarding warning signs, which in many cases includes only fever, as well as the specific instructions to follow if this arises. In most cases, this will include presentation to a healthcare setting, often an emergency department where an internist may be asked to assess the patient. Another instance in which you may encounter a patient with febrile neutropenia is on call when an oncology patient undergoing chemotherapy is already admitted to hospital and develops fever with or without no neutropenia. As with any patient encounter, the first step will be to assess whether the patient is stable or not. What are their vital signs? What is their level of consciousness? Are their ABCs stable? Do they imminently require any interventions or alternative level of care or observation? In profound febrile neutropenia, patients may present in varying states of sepsis, including potentially fatal septic shock. Once your patient is stable, you can move on to the next steps of your assessment. As previously mentioned, often the only finding on physical examination in patients with febrile neutropenia is fever. Therefore, history is particularly important in the assessment. While all patients receiving cytotoxic medications are at risk, certain populations are at particularly high risk. This includes patients with hematologic malignancies, those with extensive neoplastic disease, certain high-risk chemotherapeutic regimens, as well as patient-specific factors, including age greater than 65 years, poor performance status, poor nutritional status, prior episode of febrile neutropenia, or presence of multiple medical comorbidities. Importantly, the neutrophil nadir is usually between 7 and 14 days following chemotherapy, making the timing of chemotherapy an important detail on history. Finally, a complete and thorough review of systems for any possible nidus of infection is extremely important, as this can ultimately help guide investigations and treatment based on potential source of infection. On physical examination, timing and documentation of fever is essential. To remind you, febrile neutropenia is defined as neutropenia in a patient with any single temperature equal to or greater than 38.3 degrees Celsius by oral measure, or of 38.0 degrees Celsius for a minimum of one hour. Again, similarly to your review of systems on history, the other most important component of the physical exam is a complete and thorough examination for possible focus of infection. This includes, but is not limited to, examination of mucous membranes, including the nasopharynx and the oropharynx, auscultation of the chest, palpation of the abdomen, and inspection of the skin, including any line or catheter sites, in addition to the remainder of a complete physical examination. A very important point to remember here is that direct rectal examination should never be performed in a patient with febrile neutropenia due to the risk of introduction of pathogens in the context of gastrointestinal mucositis. Be careful not to forget this important point. Once you've completed your initial assessment, history, and physical examination, what investigation should be pursued? Since the diagnosis of febrile neutropenia relies on documented neutropenia, a CBC with differential is the most important first step in investigation. 
If your patient is newly presenting to hospital or has had a change in clinical status, it could also be appropriate to send other blood work, including but not limited to electrolytes, extended electrolytes, creatinine, blood urea nitrogen, hepatic transaminases, bilirubin, and lactate. Another very important part of the investigations for a patient with febrile neutropenia is microbiologic identification of the causative pathogen or pathogens. While bacteremia is confirmed in fewer than one quarter of patients with febrile neutropenia, drawing at least two sets of blood cultures from different sites, including all IV ports and at least one peripheral site as soon as possible, is important to try to identify the causative agent, allowing tailoring of antimicrobials accordingly. A key point to remember is that this should ideally be done before administration of any antimicrobials. Other investigations for site or source of infection should include urinalysis and urine culture, sputum culture, and nasopharyngeal swab. In certain situations, other investigations such as lumbar puncture may be warranted based on history and physical examination. Don't forget that lumbar puncture should always be preceded by a CT of the head in this population due to the presence of impaired cellular immunity and to err in ruling out a space-occupying lesion. Other routine imaging should include simple chest radiography along with targeted imaging based on patient presentation and risk factors. Now let's discuss management. The mainstay of management of a patient with febrile neutropenia is prompt administration of broad empiric antimicrobial coverage, ideally within one hour of presentation, immediately after blood cultures have been drawn. This should at minimum include gram-positive, gram-negative, and anaerobic coverage, such as paracillin tazobactam 4.5 grams IV Q8 hours, or ceftazidine 2 grams Q8 hours, with renal adjustment as needed. Vancomycin should be added if there are risk factors for MRSA, and an antifungal should also be added if the patient is at high risk of fungal infection based on clinical presentation or exposure history. You should also consider adding an antifungal to the empiric coverage if the fever persists beyond four days of antimicrobials, if there is recurrence of fever, evidence of new pulmonary infiltrates after starting antibiotics, or as treatment if there is isolation of yeast from a sterile site. Antifungal options include amphotericin B, caspofungin, and fluconazole. Consider consulting your infectious diseases team for help with antimicrobial selection if needed. Another mainstay of management for a subset of patients with febrile neutropenia is administration of granulocyte colony stimulating factor, also known as GCSF, which as the name implies stimulates the bone marrow to increase production and release of granulocytes, such as neutrophils, into circulation. GCSF should be considered in high-risk patients if they are expected to suffer from prolonged or profound neutropenia or if they present with severe sepsis. Finally, once your patient has been appropriately stabilized, investigated, and management has been commenced, including appropriate antimicrobials, it may be up to you to decide whether this patient requires ongoing inpatient management or whether they can be managed in the outpatient setting. Risk stratification tools exist to help guide this decision. The most commonly used score is the Multinational Association for Supportive Care in Cancer, or MASC. The MASC score integrates variables such as the burden of illness and presence or absence of certain patient and clinical factors. Patients with a MASC score of equal or greater than 21 are stratified as low risk and can usually be managed as an outpatient with oral antimicrobials. These oral regimens should still include broad coverage, such as a fluoroquinolone plus clavulin or clindamycin in the case of a penicillin allergy. Importantly, the first oral dose should be administered within one hour following discharge. Antimicrobial agents can be tailored according to microbiologic confirmation of specific pathogens. 
The duration of therapy depends on a number of factors, but is only considered once the patient is afebrile, ideally with recovery of ANC, and confirmation of microbiologic clearance of infection if previously documented. The length of antimicrobial treatment varies from case to case and requires close monitoring and frequent reassessment of patient status. Remember how I told you that early studies quoted mortality rates of up to 70% in patients with febrile neutropenia in whom there is a delay in initiation of antimicrobial therapy? Well, we also know that timely administration of antibiotics can reduce mortality by 10%. Many centers are therefore focusing efforts to reduce the door-to-needle time with innovative ways of identifying patients with febrile neutropenia in order to allow commencement of treatment within a tight target window. Because for a patient with febrile neutropenia, every moment counts. Alright, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Febrile Neutropenia, The Countdown is On. This episode was written by Dr. Anna Whalen-Brown, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Paul Barnfield, medical oncologist, and Dr. Sarah Piran, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Music by Lakshman Vasanthamohan. Don't forget to check out our website, www.theinternetwork.com, for additional reading resources and infographics. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.